We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today we're here to check in a little bit, do a little recap of some OTAs we missed. It was OTA number six and number seven. Uh, I believe seven was today. Six was a big one. They had a lot of, you know, coordinators speaking, positional coaches speaking. We're going to get to some quotes that stood out to us. We're going to get to some news that stood out to us as well. But first, Nick, how you doing, my friend? And how was your Memorial Day weekend? I've been traveling a lot recently, hit up Las Vegas, Nashville, San Diego, Oceanside, did the Granite Mountain Hotshot Memorial Trail. It's a trail up in Yarnell, Arizona, where 19 of 20 firefighters were killed, wildlife firefighters, back in June 30th, 2013. And it's just a trail memorializing them. So me and a buddy from the Marines did that trail. He's becoming a hotshot firefighter out in California this summer. So best of luck to him. But it was a, it was a good weekend overall. What about yourself, bro? That's pretty cool. I actually met someone who did similar thing uh, out in Colorado fighting those fires uh, when I was out in Colorado a few years ago uh, visiting a, another friend who uh, he had lived with. So just crazy what that like that you know when you become that that hotshot fire whatever it may be like and you're fighting these these forest fires it sounds in, from like the one anecdotal story I heard from the guy it sounds insane like nothing like anything you could do back where we're from on the east coast. I was naive to it until my buddy told me about it. It's a totally different thing than fighting structural fires, which is something right. that's near and dear to my heart as well because my younger brother's a firefighter. So I don't know, man. Um, best of luck to anybody who does that because that's one damn hard job. It really is. But back to the easy stuff, which is uh, <laughs> watching the Giants <laughs> and talking about the OTAs. Um, let's start with uh, probably the key talking point here. Andrew Thomas. So I don't want to prematurely grow up bad news, but look. Andrew Thomas, Giants left tackle, arguably in my mind and Knicks, their best, most valuable asset right now, their most surest bet heading into the season has been seen at OTAs walking with a noticeable heavy limp. And that was first supported by Jordan Ronan. I think Dan Duggan reported it. And then Jet Dr. Jesse Morse on Twitter took a look at it and kind of exposed and talked a little bit about why this is troubling. Uh, you know, another ankle surgery 
before Andrew Thomas. The ankle's been an issue for him since coming into the NFL. We thought last year it would be better. Now he had to do another surgery. Having a heavy limp in June, not ideal right now. What's your concern level? Give me a worryometer reading for you, Nick, uh, 1 to 10 right now. It's so hard for me to, to put a numerical value on it because I have absolutely no idea. But I think you laid it out well, Dan. The guy is walking with a limp. This has been an issue his entire career. So to say that I'm slightly worried would be an accurate assessment. Right now, I'm slightly worried. Let's see how it progresses. Hopefully, it's not anything serious because in terms of veteran players on this team now, I don't think there is a player more important than Andrew Thomas as the stone left tackle for Daniel Jones or whoever the heck the Giants quarterback is going to be in the future. So I just really hope this doesn't become a big deal. Yeah, I hope so too. This is big stuff and it's a little troubling. I didn't really, and somebody sent me that Dr. Morse video and I watched it. I was like, ugh, I don't even want to think about this. The good news is silver lining. There's still a long way to go. Um, you know, that limp could be gone by the time August comes around. That's another two months from now. It's still possible that it's just completely gone by then. Then maybe this issue pops up in season. We hope that doesn't happen. They do have some reinforcements now. I think at least Evan Neal could slide over if need be. We even saw Josh Azudu get some reps out there at left tackle. We don't want him to play probably in the regular season, but at least an option for them that ultimately like is a better option than anything they had last year. Cause Nate Solder was just a walking turnstile out there. He was not ready to play in the NFL for the 2021 season. For some God only knows, <laughs> only be known to Gettleman and judge. They decided he could not only play potentially be the swing tackle and then eventually be their starting tackle. They decided that early on when they decided not to cut him. It was wild, but Anything's better than Solder, and I feel like they now have two options for left tackle if Thomas is hurt. Neil, maybe Azudu, maybe Parrott makes a comeback, maybe some of the guys they signed potentially. But it's troublesome because part of what I expect to be the strength of this team this year is going to be the two tackles with Thomas and Neil. And the only way that's going to happen is if they're both healthy. And especially if Andrew Thomas is not there in preseason and if the Giants try to get tricky and move Evan Neal to the left side, which I really hope they don't do. I don't think they would do that because that would be kind of stupid if they expect Andrew Thomas to be healthy. They should have Evan Neal on the right side and just focus on the right side, have him play on the right side all throughout training camp and preseason. Don't mix up the reps, just have him play one position. I did right. find it interesting that Azudu was the first guy to step into the left tackle spot. And maybe that gives us a glimpse on what Brian Dable is looking at Azudu because we all just assume, ah, yeah, he'll be a guard, but maybe he will be a, a swing tackle. He could be in position to be the swing tackle on this team, which is kind of something we haven't really explored too much of. Yeah, he has some ability, obviously. He has some experience doing it as well at UNC. They, you know, they used him as their best offensive lineman. They used him in a variety of ways. Obviously, they felt he was best at guard, and that's where he played most. But he has the potential to play tackle if they need be, you know, they need him to. But we'll have to see what happens there. Obviously, the big thing here is hopefully Thomas can get rid of that limp and get healthier. Uh, a couple other notes from an injury front. Uh, Kenny Galladay was not wearing the red jersey but did not practice. So that's, a, I guess, a step up because he's out of the red jersey. Thibodeau is wearing that red injury jersey. Um, you know, they're making progress, he says, on Thibodeau day to day. I think they're just playing it cautiously right now with those guys. I wanted to know, Nick, if you got a chance to listen to the Paul Dottino interview with Shane Lemieux and Nick Gates. If not, I can give you a couple key takeaways and get your take on that. So I have not had the chance and the opportunity to okay. listen to that, but I think it's so funny how Paul Dottino is interviewing Shane Lemieux, somebody who has a last name synonymous with hockey players. Yeah, exactly. This He really should have deferred to me and allowed me to do that interview with Lemieux. But the big takeaways for me is 
Lemieux's comment, <laughs> this is insane. Just insane for me to think about the scope of it. I, it's hard for me to even say, Nick, but they asked him what the biggest difference was so far from learning from these new coaches. He says, the biggest difference is scoring points is one of our main goals. That's an actual <laughs> quote. Like We can laugh it off now, but I can't believe we look back and there were people celebrating Joe Judge after year one, people saying he's a great coach after year one. What even happened good in year one besides them beating like a bunch of backup quarterbacks like Brandon Allen and Andy Dalton with no offensive line? Nothing good happened. And then the celebrations, the laps in practice, despite people retiring on him. I mean, the Gettleman Judge era was just just the fact that that wasn't one of their main goals under those two people. It's really despicable. It's disgusting. And I'm happy it's over with. But you know, it's it's just crazy for me to hear that as, you know, pointed out as one of their main goals this year and the biggest difference between last year and this year. That should not be a difference. That should just be a given. And so that was crazy to me. Another thing I thought that I took away from this interview, Nick Gates is really far away, man. I, I don't expect to see Nick Gates in 20. I'm going to put a guess right now. I don't expect to see Nick Gates playing in 2022 for the Giants. I'm if I had to put gun to my head. I know he's a tough guy. I know he's a hard worker. I know he's going to try his best to do it. I don't think Nick Gates will ever start another game for the Giants, personally. It just sounded bad, man. He's talking about baby steps. He said, Gates said, it's a win if I just get back on the field. I mean, I feel for the guy. It's terrible. I love Gates. I thought he was one of their best and most consistent linemen, but that injury is a real potential career ender. We have to call it what it is. It was fluky, but it was that, and it just sucked to hear him. It just didn't sound like he was he was someone who's like gearing up and ready to go. It's so unfortunate. I'm a big Nick Gates fan. I mean, when when we actually applauded Dave Gettleman when he extended Nick Gates before Nick Gates really hit his stride because we thought Nick Gates would be out of value. Just imagine if that injury didn't happen. Nick Gates just had like a typical Nick Gates year, maybe ascended upward a little bit during the 2021 season. You're entering this season. The, John, the Giants probably don't even add John Feliciano, but you have Nick Gates as the centerpiece of your offensive line. I mean, I like the, the current standing with the offensive line relative to what it's been in the past. It's just been really, really atrociously terrible. But with Nick Gates there, that would give me a, a whole nother feeling. And he could have taken his game to another level. It's just unfortunate for him. It's unfortunate for the Giants organization is unfortunate for Giants fans. I feel like we've been robbed of a pretty damn good football player right there. Yeah, and I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping that this is just, you know, yeah. me being negative. He makes his way back. But for now, I'm cautiously not going to count on him playing center for the Giants in 2022. And that, you know, that's a little troubling because I just don't love this center position right now. I'm not a Feliciano guy. And I was hoping Gates could make it back. It's just, I felt like there was more positive I guess buzz on him potentially playing earlier, just hearing him speak on it, it. It just didn't sound too much like someone who's ready to go anytime soon. So we'll have to see what happens there. Um, I thought it was interesting to hear Shane Lemieux talk about how, even though he missed last season, he did a lot of work compiling what he referred to Nick as a digital notebook of defensive linemen that the giants played last year. And he talked about some specifically who he's going to face again in the NFC East. Do you think there's some value to be added by Lemieux, you know, taking a step back and having a chance to kind of evaluate the tape on his opponents? And maybe he'll come with a more prepared, you know, approach for pass protection or obviously the run game is the run game. I don't want to say that, but for what, you know, tendencies of his opposing defensive linemen are as pass rushers, things he can do to kind of negate that. I think this is going to help him in his uh, comeback this season. Oh, absolutely. I think. You can handle that situation of being injured a few different ways, right? You can do what Shane Lemieux is doing right now 
and prepare, study, get ready for the next season and do all your work from an intelligence standpoint. Now, Nick Gates, he might not progress from an athletic standpoint, but you can get a lot smarter and that's going to allow you to handle the counter moves and, and expect what is coming from your opponent. I think being prepared is essential. Or he could have handled it another way and just kind of sulked and said, man, I'm missing this season. Now these coaches and the general manager who drafted me are fired and, you know, kind of getting your feelings and shit like that. He didn't do any of that. So I feel like he has that, like we've talked about this. He has the inside track that that left guard spot and the way he's handled, according to this interview, the way he's handled the offseason is only going to help him secure that left guard spot. So I'm excited to see what he can do. But again, I don't know if it's going to assist him and make him a better athlete, which was something that maybe held him back slightly right. in his rookie season. Yeah, that's the, that, that's the issue for me, Nick. So I think he's going to be more prepared. I think he's going to be better. And I think there were some signs of it, you know, him making improvements even in his rookie season. But there's one thing, there's one area that really held him back from being drafted earlier than the fifth round by any other NFL team. And that's kind of just his natural athleticism as a pass protector. And that's something he really struggled with getting into his set fast enough and having kind of, I guess, the quickness and the agility to do it against NFL pass rushers. It wasn't as much of an issue at Oregon, though it was still an issue there against Pac-12 pass rushers. And Pac-12 pass rushers pale in comparison to the guys he's matching up against. So that's still keeping... I'm keeping an eye on that with Lemieux because I don't want the Giants to have any kind of liability when it comes to pass protection on the offensive line. I would prioritize a better pass protecting guard if they have one who's able to do it on the roster right now. I'm not so sure that's the case. And so, you know, what he can add as a, as a run blocker still, you know, stands... Stands out to me, Nick, especially because the system change, I think it'll fit what he does well. But yeah, I hope he can make those improvements just from, you know, seeing things more. I think there are definitely some examples from his rookie season where you can be like, all right, well, maybe if he's more experienced and he's seen some things, that's not as much of an, you know, this example or that example isn't as much just the athleticism letting him down. So we'll see what happens there. Let's talk a little bit about these OTA practices. We'll start with number six, the one from last week on Thursday, I believe. The big play from the day was the uh, Wandale Robinson catch. So did you get a chance to see that, Nick, while you were away by any chance? I did. I was paying attention to what was going on while I was away, and that was okay. one heck of a catch. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. That was over Aaron Robinson, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And the coverage yeah. was great, I thought. Yeah, Aaron Robinson was all over him. So you look at that, you have two young players who are vying for – position on this team they're both going to more than likely have a role on offense and defense and I feel like both of them just played that specific play excellently it's just Wondell Robinson ended up winning and he really did a good job adjusting to the Daniel Jones throw and making a contested catch but can't knock Aaron Robinson either because he was right in position to make a play on that football just needs to finish we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need indeed. Yeah, and I want to talk a lot about Robinson because there was some good discussion about him from the coordinators. And then Flot, too, with regards to just playing the boundary versus playing the slot in today's NFL and what that means, what's harder to do, what's the money position there. Um, as I'm interested to get your take on this because I have some thoughts on that, Nick. But as far as that individual play, you broke it down great. I'll, I'll you know, but you know what, Nick? I will be the elephant in the room. I, I'll do it. I don't care. I, it wasn't a great throw. Let's be honest about the situation. That was not a good ball. I mean, Daniel Jones is standing there. He takes like four hitches into the throw, and then it's still a contested catch. We can't really sit here and call that a great throw, can we? It was just really good coverage by Aaron Robinson, and it's not like the throw was behind because I'm looking at the coverage that Aaron Robinson's on the outside portion of Wandell Robinson, and I, I can't see in the beginning of the play, Dan, what the route was. So I don't know what the leverage was or any of that. So it's kind of hard for me to know where – Daniel Jones was supposed to put the football. So I'm only seeing it once it's in frame, essentially. And once it's in frame, Wondell Robinson and Aaron Robinson are both chest to chest. Daniel Jones puts it to the inside, which is away from Aaron Robinson. So from a ball placement standpoint, it doesn't look like it's too bad. Yeah, it's not, I guess, the ball placement is, is okay, I guess. I just feel like when you can hitch four times into a throw like he does there, they're not, you know, there's no pass rush. It's not a play. It's just kind of Daniel Jones throwing the football in a one-on-one. I feel like you could put a ball a little bit away, a little bit further away from a defensive back. Potentially, you would hope, or a little more of a lead, throw throw a little bit over more of a lead so he can run under it. Um, I don't know. He's hitching four yeah. times that he's never going to be able to do that in, the, in any NFL game. I agree with that. Now, my my one thing is, and I and I agree. Like, if if this the ball was him, doesn't really come out that clean. Yeah. That's kind of what really stood out. I'm sorry to cut you yeah. off. No, no, you're good, and I agree with that. But my one thing is, and you can't tell in the frame. Is that the back pylon where Wandell Robinson catches it? Because right. if that's a back pylon, then it's then he obviously you know didn't put as much mustard on the throw, so he can catch it in bounds. Because if you look at the like about ten yards before that pylon, the only pylon in the view, there's a G, like like it's the goal line. So, oh yeah, if that's the back I do pylon. See that. Yes, that's, that's back, back pylon, pylon. I take it all back. I take it all back. If that's back pylon, yeah. I like the throw, even though it didn't come yeah. out great, and he had to hit four times to, to get all that under it, but. I, I take it back. If he could place that ball in the back pylon, it's a good throw. So I stand correct here. Back, yeah, I think it is the back pylon too. Because like if you look at the uh, if you look at the yard marker in the beginning of the video, you see 20, 10, and then there's ten yards that goes by. And yeah, I, I think I'm not 100 percent certain though. It's tough to tell from the video. I will say overall, the ball doesn't come out great, and he needed to hitch into it four times. This is not an example I would use to put on a great throw personally. I think this is way more of an incredible catch and great coverage. If I had to pick two things that stand about, about, out about this play, but the fact that, like you said, it could be back pylon, it definitely makes it go from something that doesn't look as great to, all right, it's solid. It's a solid throw. You know, he had to hitch four times into it, but it's a solid throw. But speaking of, man, Wondell Robinson. You're, all you hear is good things about this kid right now. It, it's pretty freaking uh, awesome. I mean, these highlight reel type of grabs, and he's doing it over home, you know, potential starting players. It's uh, it's good to to see a draft pick who might, you know, reach has kind of been labeled on him and everything like that. It's good to see him rise to the occasion early on in OTAs. And again, this is only OTAs. We're not even in training camp, so I don't want to make a lot of this, but it's still something. Yeah, and him being a contested catch receiver is something that, we're hoping he can be at the next level, not necessarily something you see a lot of on his film, but also not something you don't see at all. I, again, like I said, just for reminding, for remembering watching his his games at, at Kentucky versus what I saw with Tony a year before at Florida, there were more catches away from frame and contested catches from Robinson. So I think 
you know, that is something that could be unlocked at the next level. And again, I don't want to crap on Jones. I don't think it was, I, I probably was a little too harsh on, especially if it was back pylon, but you know, I, that to me that when I watch that play, I'm looking at the coverage and I'm looking at the catch for sure there, especially given, you know, there's no pass rush and it took a lot of hitches to get into that thing. But let's talk about some other things that went down. Azudu once again, starting left tackle. No real changes on the offensive line. Azudu, Lemieux, Feliciano, Glowinski, and Neal with the first team. And then Max Garcia at guard, left guard with the second team. Bredesen at center. That's what I'm really interested in right there. McKeithen playing right tackle right now, which I think is interesting as well. That's with the second team as well. Um, as far as the install se uh, session went, you got – uh, Pretty much what you expect right now. Williams, Lawrence, Thibodeau, Ojolari. Really nice four, by the way. I really like to say it out loud because it sounds really good on paper. Williams, Lawrence, Kayvon uh, Thibodeau, and Ojolari. Blake Martinez and Crowder still starting. Adoree Jackson, Aaron Robinson. Holmes starting on the inside right now with the first team. And then McKinney and Love. I don't think there's anything crazy there. Anything you took away from any of the uh, first and second team offense and defenses? For the one offense, the right guard was Josh Rivas, the undrafted free agent out of, I believe, Kansas State. I thought that the was second one team, that right? Yeah, it's the second team, and then also Corey Cunningham at, at left tackle, which is which is something. Not only bring that up, and I know it's later on in our notes because him and Quincy Rocher are auditioning to fight in the UFC, apparently. Yeah, yeah there was a little bit of a practice skirmish there. I didn't really look too much into that, but that's what you hear. Um, let's see what else. Anything else that stood out to you from this practice? I mean, there's some. Interesting plays. Taylor had a nice sideline throw. Tyrod, that is, to board. Um, Jones threw a touchdown to Slade on a double move. There were a few interceptions, I think, with some receivers uh, falling. Dory had a had an out route that he jumped from Jones, um, but it looked like Richie James slipped on his break. It was a return for a touchdown. I think the interesting note would be Bellinger is still getting a lot of reps with that first-team offense, and, you know, he's – continuing to look pretty good there with that first team offense. He's getting reps in 11 on 11s with Daniel Jones. This is a really good sign. I think for a fourth round pick to already be getting these reps. I think some of the interesting things to, to go over is the Daniel Bellinger thing. Like you said, it's also cool to see because not every receiver is there. Obviously Sterling Shepard's not there. Kenny Galladay wasn't there. So you're seeing like Richie James be used. You're also seeing Saquon Barkley be used a variety of different ways like we brought up on the previous podcast. But one thing that stood out just kind of going over all these notes is it seems to be a lot of defensive backs knocking passes away. And our secondary, you know, is probably the weak point of the team right now. It's, it's the unproven point. I think is probably the best way to phrase it. But Michael Jaquette knocked away a pass off a double move from Alex Bachman. Jerron Williams had a PBU as well. So did Maurice Kennedy and Aaron Robinson. So you have all of these young cornerbacks who some of them we don't really know all that much about coming up with passes defensed in these tight situations. So I think that's one thing that is that is nice to see. And I don't know though, if I'm going to be honest with you, if it's an indictment on Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor because I can't see the throws, but it's still good. At least they're not just getting torched all the time all throughout practice. Yeah, for sure. And apparently Saquon Barkley continues to be used in a lot of different ways different formations, runner, receiver, really starting to feel like he's going to be the focal point of the offense. I mean, we've expected to see out of Barkley for a while, just never kind of came to fruition uh, with either of the last two coordinators and either of the last two guys running the offense. Which, and if that's the case, Dan, like what's this offense going to look like? Because that's going to look a lot different than Buffalo where they hardly use their running backs for large portions of games. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. It's a great point because really those guys weren't even really utilizing the passing game either. So 
it could change. I guess the difference would be Jones versus Josh Allen. Josh Allen doesn't need to rely, in my opinion, on the on the running backs as much in the passing game. Even though they're obviously giving him an outlet now by drafting James Cook, I still feel like there's. I just I was watching uh, the Bills versus the Titans this weekend, Nick. I I was I just threw on a random game of the all twenty two. I wanted to watch some some basically some Brian Dable. First of all, what a game he called that game. I mean, he just said, F it. I'm throwing almost every down. He did it in a variety of ways. He kept the defense off track. Yeah, there were some plays where the defense could pin their ears back and kind of get to Allen. But for the most part, man, they gained a lot of yards and they were giving them fits by just passing the ball in such a consistent basis and so much H-back usage. That was what I thought was really interesting. That's where, like, Billinger, I think, can really step in. And like you said, just a lot of different uh, – usage with the running backs that they mixed in there. So we'll see what happens there. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, Aaron Robinson, who kind of ended the OTA practice six. This was the Thursday one with a nice breakup. Robinson's definitely someone I'm keeping an eye on because he's probably at this point, one of their biggest X factors in the season, just given the role he's going to play and the lack of depth around him at that position. Yeah, I'm going to be writing a piece for Big Blue View detailing Aaron Robinson's reps on the outside. So I'm going to be doing that here shortly. Should be posting probably a day or two after you guys hear this. So go check that out. But I'm excited as well to see what he can handle. I mean, he talked to the media. I think that was on Thursday as well. He was probably a little bit less um, spoken than than like an Adoree Jackson who probably had more nuggets of information to take away. A lot of coaches, Jerome Henderson said this, and Aaron Robinson alluded to this as well when he did speak to the media, that being on the outside – allows you to use the sideline to your advantage because the sideline is your friend. So it could simplify things for him rather than having him in the slot where you have to defend the left and the right. And there's just so much more green, so much more space to cover. Who knows, man? We could be looking at Aaron Robinson having a breakout type of season here because he's in a position that he's a little bit more comfortable playing. We just haven't seen him play that all too often. Yeah, I think he has a good chance to do it. Like you said, I mean, there's other things like he had a really good RAS score. He had, I think, a 439 40-yard dash in the pro day and then like a 20-yard split that was in like the 90-something percentile. Really good, really good testing. Uh, obviously had that year at Bama and then transferred over. Didn't have to play a lot on the outside, but believes he can. He's confident. I think that's big. I think that's a huge factor for him. And like you said, there's a case to be made that nowadays it's harder to defend in the slot than on the boundary. First of all, it's a two-way route every time. For the corner they have to really it's a lot in my mind just just looking at it from that standpoint like physically speaking nick the physical nature of what you have to do in coverage on the boundary versus in the slot it seems like it'd be harder to defend the slot and then you also think about what the slot corner has to do from a run responsibility standpoint and then you also think about where most of the nfl's explosive plays are coming from a lot of them now are slot verts right like you're seeing a ton of variations of slot verts being the big plays on third downs and the big chunk yardage plays and all those explosive plays so at this point like i think he's right a case can be made it's probably you know it can be harder to defend the slot yeah and i think putting him outside you have the sideline to your advantage now you're gonna have maybe a little bit more one-on-one type matchups and you're gonna be going up against true number one receivers who are outside so you might be a little bit further away from your help in certain zone concepts and stuff like that so that could be something that could be looked at as a negative but all in all you have that sideline right there so Hopefully Aaron Robinson is well accustomed to the the space that he needs to play with out there. I remain hopefully optimistic, I think, is the way we put it before. I think that's a good way to term it, and I'm looking forward to see what he can do against Tennessee in week one. And if we are to expect that, or accept, I should say, that a lot of the NFL's explosive plays now are being generated out of the slot, 
it gives more value to drafting a player like Cordell Flott, starting him off by practicing him in the slot, and ultimately even having a vision for him to be your long-term slot if you think he can be a dominant slot. Because if you can lock up the slot, that does make things more difficult for a lot of these teams in the passing game. A lot of these teams rely on the slot to get anything going in the passing game. And I'm talking about the teams not like, obviously, like the the Rodgers and the Herberts and like the, the really good quarterback passing teams in the league, but the teams and the Burrows, whatever you want to put in there, but the teams that, you know, don't have that those options and need to rely more on those two-way routes in the slot. So just something to think about, too, to add value to that flop pick um, in the third round by the Giants if he is ultimately only a slot guy that may just be, you know, to their benefit. So anything from the seventh OTA practice that you wanted to discuss, Nick, or anything more on the corner situation? Yeah, on the seventh OTA practice, it just seemed like there was a lot of Darius Slayton hype, a lot of Darius Slayton praise, which is pretty cool, to be honest. Now, because a lot of us didn't, we don't really know if he's even going to make this roster because the Giants could save a little bit of cash releasing him. And it seemed like, I think on the first play, he connected with Daniel Jones for a big 30 plus yard play. And then he ended up kind of going out of bounds. And I want to say Brian Dable talked about him as well. He said, Slayton's been dependable. He's known what to do. He doesn't talk a whole lot. He's a pretty quiet guy, but he's a professional. And I have a lot of respect for how he handles his business and he's done a good job. So seems like there's been some Slayton hype. Do you make anything of that? Slayton's such an interesting player to me because his tape from his rookie season was so phenomenal. We talked a lot about it on our podcast. We went, I mean, we talked about some of his releases off the line of scrimmage that were really promising and just some of the traits that he showed that made me believe that he had wide receiver one upside. I didn't think that he was a lot to get there or anything like that, but I thought it was within the realm of his possibilities a non-zero chance. And then it seems like injuries have played a huge role. I'll say it, though. I know a lot of other people won't say it. I think quarterback play has played a role in his demise. Personally, I think I don't I don't. And it's not really something I think. I think if you look at the tape, it's pretty obvious. Um, And then I think, obviously, the last thing would be just him not really adjusting to the new system, to the Jason Garrett system. It wasn't as good of a fit for him as the Pat Shermer system. Well, now he's got a new system and now he's healthy, at least at the time being. And hopefully Daniel Jones is going to take a step forward and improve the quarterback play. So. There is a non-zero chance. There is a possibility that he can make a run to be a valuable asset for this team right now. They don't really have too many options outside of Kenny Galladay to play like the boundary X role on this roster. So and even to play the Z or to play the other side, just to be like that vertical threat from the outside, there's not too many options there. So I can see him carving out a role for sure. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. And another receiver who we already mentioned earlier in the podcast, just Wondell Robinson had two touchdowns. I guess it was today's practice, so Tuesday's practice. He had one from Daniel Jones uh, that was about 20 yards, horizontal cross down the middle of the field. He caught it in stride for a touchdown, and then he had another one from, I think it was Tyrod Taylor. So he's just, again, he's out there balling, but I, I guess we've already touched on that a little bit. Maurice Kennedy had an interception. He had the only interception of the day. He picked off a pass on a two-point conversion. And this is like the third practice where I've seen Kennedy make plays. So I just kind of want to mention that because he's somebody that we're like, yeah, you know, he might make the roster, but he knows this system. He's played with Wink before. So he's making plays in OTAs. If he can carry that into training camp, he could be a name who can, you know, find some playing time on Sunday. Yeah, especially given the depth chart at cornerback. And we've seen this happen at the cornerback position for the Giants over the last several years with guys making late runs and then playing a bigger role earlier in the season than expected. So Maurice Kennedy, somebody to keep an eye on. 
Julian Love continues to work with that first team defense as the safety opposite McKinney. There's no rotation. This is his job to lose right now. Um, you know, on his competition is just basically rookie and undrafted. Like it's not real undrafted rookie and a rookie. So there's really not too much there in a converted corner. So it's not like he has too much competition around him and he's going to be given a full chance to let it ride. And according to Dable, he said, Love's a dependable, smart player who plays tough on tape. I think he's done a good job in his group and a good leader for us. Communication with X is good out there. It's really a pleasure to be around him. Seems like we can use him in a lot of different roles, and I'd say he's ready for the challenge in terms of understanding the playbook and being able to perform it out there on the field. I think that's the last part really stood out to me, Nick, because you need this safety to be somebody who picks up this playbook fast alongside with Xavier McKinney, the same exact thing you need out of him. Because that's going to limit the communication breakdowns, communication issues, coverage breakdowns, things of that nature in a new defense that are bound to happen when you change over systems, especially changing so radically, going from like Patrick Graham to Wink Martindale. And so you need a smart, heady player out there. And I think Love is by far and away the best option alongside McKinney. Yeah, and he's proven that since he became a New York Giant in 2019 and even proved it back when he was a Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So I've been a big supporter of Julian Love, and I'm looking forward to what he can do alongside Xavier McKinney and see how Wink Martindale can really utilize the safety tandem, rotate safeties, bring them on pressure, man them up on slots, man them up on tight ends. You're going to see them used in a variety of different ways in this system. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that we picked up from the interviews with additional coaches and the coordinators. I think the first and most obvious thing is just Wink Martindale philosophy. It really is just everyone you hear it from now, including him. They're going to attack. They're going to dictate. and They're going to pressure quarterbacks. And it's interesting because somebody, I believe, I forgot who it was, put out a tweet today that showed, I think it was Dan Pizzuta, but I'm not positive, from Sharp Football. It shows Blitzing's been way down in the NFL over the last, I think it was six years. Every year, this is a trend that's continued every year with the exception of 2020 where it shot up quickly and then went back down. But fewer teams are blitzing. A lot more teams are playing that, you know, shell coverage defense and dropping back. And the Giants are just not going to be one of those teams. Like, it's pretty clear and obvious now that we've heard it from everyone and we see it at practice. They're going to be blitzing. They're going to be blitzing a lot. They're going to dictate. They're going to attack. And they're going to buck that trend. And I thought that was interesting to kind of look at, you know, the Giants doing something, I think, a little different from what you're seeing from the rest of the NFL. Yeah, it's pressure breaks pipes. That's what Wink Martindale says. Pressure breaks pipes. So, and also don't go to DoorDash to to get a backup cornerback. That's another thing that Wink Martindale definitely espoused. No, man, I mean, this is something that we saw last year when we did our film study. It's something that we talked about with Kem Yakusik, who covers the Baltimore Ravens. It's it's very obvious. It's very evident. And there's going to be some broken plays. There's going to be some blown coverage. There's probably going to be times where it's going to piss us off. But I, I like the philosophy. At the end of the day, I like the philosophy of you do not know what we are going to do. You cannot just plan for us because we are going to throw a bunch of different stuff at you and we're going to bring pressure from everywhere. And you're not going to know where it's coming from. And we're going to manipulate your offensive line and we're going to take advantage of your young quarterbacks. All of that's going to be true. And I'm excited to see how it just materializes throughout the season. But like I said, Dan, there, there's going to be games where we're like, damn it, man. Like, oh, you had to do it there. You know, it, it, there's going to be blown coverages. It's going to happen. Without a doubt. And something else that was interesting, and I didn't take it as bullshit, Nick, I think when Drew Wilkins and Wink Martindale say that Kayvon Thibodeau was their number one player, their number one edge in this class, they mean it. I think they were dead serious about it. Obviously, there's Aiden Hutchinson. You know, some people might say Trayvon Walker, whatever it may be, Jermaine Johnson, whoever. But 
Kayvon Thibodeau really sounded like their number one player that they said. And, you know, what they said is they, you know, just his ability. I think Wink Martindale was saying just his ability to set the edge, his violence off the edge, his get off. Things we've talked about, obviously, it makes him a fit for their system. And his versatility was something they said, too, that makes him a fit for their system. He was not only Wink Martindale's number one player in the class, but also Drew Wilkins, the linebacker coach. So he said if Wink could create an outside linebacker in a lab, it would be Kayvon Thibodeau. So that really stood out to me, Nick. Do you believe it? Do you buy it or do you think it's coach speak? No, I buy it 100% because when you think about Wink Martindale's system, Kayvon Thibodeau fits it better than Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson if you're looking for a more edge type of prospect. Whereas I think Trayvon Walker could fit in this system, but he might be a little bit more of that interior guy, put him at five technique, move him to four eye. You know, you can kick him inside during passing situations. Kayvon Thibodeau can drop into coverage. He can pin his ears back. He can win high side. He can counter inside. He can do a lot of different things. So I actually believe it. And you know, I want to say this too, Dan. Drew Wilkins is pretty personable. Like his interview was, I was like, damn, man, this guy, you know, he had a really like bubbly, gregarious type of personality talking about his players. I, I came away being like, oh, man, this guy, this guy's pretty cool. I think he, what he said when he was asked about Kayvon Thibodeau's brand stuff, he said, the brand I saw was a hardworking, humble, dominant football player with a magnetic personality. And that's exactly what we want here in New York. And he also talked about how Jihad Ward is a similar type of personality, just, you know, a really big personality, but in a good way. And it's not something that's going to take away from the team's goals. I, I kind of liked how he put all of that about Kayvon Thibodeau. And again, a very young player, a rookie coming in here with that magnetic personality. I think it's cool that Jihad Ward is also in that locker room. I didn't know he had that personality. So I think it's kind of a cool dynamic that he's similar to Kayvon Thibodeau and he has a bunch of years under his belt. Yeah, without a doubt. And so, you know, they talked about, like you said, hardworking, humble, dominant football player. And they talked even about, you know, he's texting him on weekends. He's asking stuff from a schematic standpoint that you would expect from players, you know, three, four weeks into the season, let alone, you know, this early in OTAs. I think that got lost a lot with the Thibodeau discussion. Like he is a diehard football lover with a passion for the game and a passion to be the best potential pass rusher in the nfl and that's what you want that's what you ask for he's really football savvy and that's important too very football savvy that's something that kept getting brought up and another player that they talked about uh zizo jolari i think he called him the incredible hulk <laughs> with all the muscle that he put on but he he kept talking about how it's the right muscle he put on the right muscle it's not like he just slapped on you know a bunch of sloppy rate weight it's all lean muscle. So, I mean, I'm excited to see what uh, Z's can do this year with the, the uptick in strength. Cause if there was one thing that we thought maybe he could improve on was holding the point of attack as yeah. a contained defender. And now he had what, like five to eight pounds of just muscle, whatever it was. And he looks damn good out there, bro. That guy's biceps are bulging. Yeah. That's a great point. That really is some, an area he can improve. Um, something else I took away Xavier McKinney said he took his film watching to the next level. He said that's been the biggest jump for him this offseason. Um, you know, he's been overemphasizing just watching film and studying the playbook. That's something I think that could make a big difference in his game because, you know, it's really his first, second fully healthy offseason, and that could that could obviously play a big role when you're learning a new system. Yeah, and he also mentioned how he made mistakes early in his career, and he's looking to obviously not make any more mistakes just through preparation because when you think about Xavier McKinney, he has the the football IQ of when the bullets are flying, he knows what to do. He is good in run support. He is very athletic. He's good in coverage. He's instinctual. 
Now, if you really refine the process of watching film, preparing for your opponent, something I'm sure that he did under Nick Saban, but now he's doing it in a, in a much more, I guess, um, routine manner. At least that's kind of what he described. I think he could really take his game to another level. And he was our guy last year, Dan, that we said, Xavier McKinney is a player who can break out. And we saw that last season. I feel like we saw a breakout, you know, ever since the Las Vegas game where he had the two interceptions against Derek Carr and you carry it on a little bit more. He just kept making plays and showing up. I think he can even rise his level of play to another level. I think he has that capability. And speaking of that capability of rising your level to another level, Andre Patterson talked about Dexter Lawrence doing that. He believes that there is just another level of play that can be unlocked. And if there's a defensive line coach in the league that I feel like can do that, just listening to his interviews back when he was with the Vikings and now, it's Andre Patterson. There's something about him that I just I, I look at. And I'm like, this guy is a freaking football coach. And that's no slight on Sean Spencer because I'm a big Coach Chaos fan as well. But I, I have a lot of uh, a lot of respect and a lot of joy in the fact that Andre Patterson is here in New York. Yeah, I'll be interested to see with Lawrence because defense is changing. The scheme is changing. The system's changing. And that could benefit him as a pass rusher, potentially. He could have more opportunities there. It's a big season for Lawrence, in my mind, despite obviously them picking up his his option as far as if he's going to get extended early. That's something the Giants want to eventually do. They want to be a team that can extend guys they draft. And he's early on, like he's up there right now in the list of guys they're looking at. If they had a list right now that they circled, he'd be number one or number two, just based on where the contract's at and you know, given everything he's done. So he has to take that step forward, I think, as a pass rusher to deserve a massive contract extension. Personally, I'm okay tagging him regardless because of the cap rising and because of, you know, defensive tackles being paid more in recent years, especially this offseason. But as far as big-time extension for multi-years, well, I need to see more from a pass rushing standpoint. And hopefully this system can unlock that. I hope it does. I, I really do. And I think playing next to Leo, having Kayvon Thibodeau and a second year Aziz Ojolari on that defense could possibly assist him. And I'm also just curious on what his role will be. Because we think Jelly, you know, Ellis is going to be more of that guy who's going to absorb blocks. Are they going to kind of keep Dexter Lawrence at that four eye or, or how is he going to be used? Are they going to try to set up one-on-ones and in pass rushing situations, Leonard Williams, how's he going to be used? Because we saw him and Patrick Ramsky be used as an edge. One technique, two de- all over the line of scrimmage. And now I think with the additions to the edge group and specifically Kayvon Thibodeau, I'm just uh, look at the defensive front. It's obviously a strength, but I'm not <clears> hundred percent <throat> certain how they're going to be fully utilized. So I'm uh yeah, not to beat the dead horse, bro. I'm just excited. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to see. I'm excited too. All right, anything else from the OTAs that we missed on the cleanup or anything else Giants related that we missed? No, I think it's I think we're good here, Dan. Um we have more practices coming this week, so we'll be be here to cover those as well. Yeah, especially if there's actual media there that can give us a better look. These are OTAs, guys. We're gonna get, you know, we're gonna get more, I think, obviously, from training camp and from the preseason, but still stuff to glean from these. So especially as far as who's running with what team, as far as the starters and the reserves go. So we'll keep it here. We're going to start to do our position previews as well coming up soon, where we'll do a deep dive on different players from every position group. The strengths of those units, like we do every off season. So keep it locked and loaded on the big blue Bandit podcast. Have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you soon. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.